Welcome to this week's recording of the local news, brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind and the Worcester News. Our service is free, but if you'd like to make a donation towards the running costs, or if you have any comments to make about our service, please leave a message in your wallet or give us a ring at Colin Chance House. And I'd like to thank Diane Smith this week, who has um, donated, sent a donation to us. Thank you very much, Diane. That's much appreciated. I'm Sally and Ian and Rianne are reading with me and John is our sound engineer. We will be covering the news, um, including July the 22nd um, up until Thursday, July the 28th. We'll start with the uh, birthdays, the important phone numbers and what's on, and then the headline stories, followed by general stories from the week, a couple of sporting items And then the obituaries will be at the end of the recording for those who wish to hear them. So I don't know if any of you were fortunate enough to go to the production of Love Letters last Saturday. Unfortunately, I couldn't go, but I've heard from friends who've been that it was an extremely good production. It all turned out very well and raised a good sum of money for our organisation. So thanks very much to John, who um, masterminded that and all the other people who volunteered by helping him. Um, The sunrise today is 5.23am and the sun is setting at 9.07. The thought for this week is from Mark chapter 4 verse 37 to 39. A furious squall came up And the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Uh, And now moving on to the birthdays, we just have two upcoming in the next week. Uh, Firstly, on the 4th of August, uh, Stephen Daly, and then on the 5th, Susan Gibb. Many happy returns to both of you. The useful telephone numbers, as always, here in Wilds Lane, 01905 Police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers is on 0800 one. The Worcester Hub can be contacted at 01905 765 765. Worcester Live, 01905 611 Theatres is... 01684892277 and out of hours medical services is treble one. Lastly, the Samaritans can be contacted on double one six one two three and this is a free phone number. And now a little bit about what's on in 
Worcester and the local area. Last year, Worcester Theatres launched the first ever Worcester Fringe Festival, a festival of arts and culture that took place all over the city with over 50 performances and over 1,600 people that took part. This year they're doing it again, and it's even bigger than before, with over 70 performances taking place at the Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall, Vesta Tilly Studio, Royal Porcelain Works and two new venues, the Arch Rivals and Paradiddles, from Friday, July the 22nd to Sunday, July the 31st. The Worcester Fringe has something for everyone of all ages and interests. Do you love theatre? Don't miss part live stand-up show, part film, a partner featuring the legendary former Doctor Who Sylvester McCoy and Linda Marlowe. Plus, award-winning theatre maker Hattie Snooks, who's had sell-out performances at both Brighton and at Edinburgh Fringe, will be performing her musical comedy, The Geek Shall Inherit, at the Vesta Tilly Studio with special performances from Robert Gee in Kevin, King of Egypt, and a performance from Worcester Theatre's own Young Rep Company, CTRLDEL, commissioned exclusively for the Worcester Fringe Festival, and many more. Music and comedy, what are you looking for? Professional comedians Hal Cruttenden, Milo Edwards, Justin Moorhouse and Will Duggan are all performing their special preview shows so you can get a sneak peek at the material no one has heard of yet. Other heavy hitters appearing at the Worcester Fringe include Gary Delaney from Mock the Week and RuPaul's Drag Race UK star Ginny Lemon in Lemon Sauce. There will be music all across the city from excellent bands playing at Paradiddles, performances from Kringo Blue and Sam Ross at the Arch Rivals and a host of talented musicians will be gracing the outdoor stages at the Royal Porcelain Works and outside Huntingdon Hall. There's plenty for the family too, a magical storytelling bike with props and more at the Royal Porcelain Works. Family favourite Fireman Sam will be performing live at the Swan Theatre and the story nights will take you to a world filled with castles, giants, spirits, vampires and a talking forest plus the hilarious, spontaneous Potter for Kids. And if all that wasn't enough, the special events from a dementia-friendly afternoon tea party, a one-to-one immersive experience jury room of souls at the Arch Rivals and another smashing poetry slam event hosted by Litfest in the Swan Theatre. A lot of the events are completely free to attend. Check out the full programme on the Worcester Theatres website, worcestertheatres.co.uk. Call 01905 611 427 or follow them on social media to find out more about what's going on. And meanwhile, there's also activities at Malvern Theatres coming up. The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde is on um, week beginning Tuesday the 9th of August to Friday the 12th of August in the evening at 7pm, matinees at 2pm, all seats are £5. And that's being done by the Malvern Theatre's Young Company. And um, Dream po- Dreamboats and Petticoats um, is going to be on, um, it, which is a feel-good musical, continues... And it's got featuring special guest star 60s hit parade legend Mark Winter is going to be on Tuesday 30th of August to Saturday the 3rd of September. Tickets are between £28 and £41.44. 
Thank you, Rianne. And now we'll have the headline stories starting on Friday, July the 22nd. Cuts left fire crews in need of support. Firefighters on the front line had to call in outside help due to cutbacks to tackle raging wildfires, say union bosses. Crews from the Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service fought devastating blazes this week, first at Licky Hills, then at Hartlebury Common. A local fire brigade's union representative had said outside help was required for some responses because of previous service cutbacks. The FBU said firefighters were angry the demands of the job were increasing, but resources had been slashed by government cuts. However, fire service bosses say it is incorrect to say they did not have enough crews to respond locally, and an arrangement is in place so the closest resources available are dispatched to deal with any emergency. Firefighters in the two counties received 74 call-outs between 7am on Friday, July the 15th and 7am on Wednesday, July the 20th about fires in the open or similar blazes involving standing corn, crops or rubbish. Fire chiefs locally and nationally have acknowledged that pressure on the service during the heatwave has been unprecedented. Dry and hot conditions have made the job even harder as temperatures soared during a two-day rare red extreme heat warning from the Met Office, issued for Monday and Tuesday. The mercury climbed to a record 37.1 degrees centigrade in Worcester, the hottest day in the city's history, breaking the previous record from August 1990. Neil Bevan, Brigade Secretary for Hereford and Worcester, said... Both firefighters and control staff had been stretched by recent call-outs in Worcestershire and Herefordshire. He said although a major incident wasn't declared, our control staff were stretched and taking calls on behalf of other brigades including London and Greater Manchester. We needed assistance from neighbouring brigades as we didn't have sufficient crews to deal with a range of incidents. These included a large fire on the Licky Hills, RTCs and multiple house fires. Matt Rack, FBU General Secretary, said, As the UK experiences record heat, firefighters and control staff have been stretched to the limit. Sixteen fire and rescue services declared major incidents, highlighting the scale of the challenges firefighters and control have faced. Each of these services have had firefighter numbers slashed. Cuts have stretched the fire service's ability to respond. Firefighters are working in extreme heat and conditions for excessive periods of time. Employers have had to ask people to give up leave to assist because of staff shortages. He added, Firefighters are at the forefront of the climate emergency. The demands of the job are increasing, but our resources have been under attack by government cuts for over a decade. 11,500 firefighter jobs have been slashed since 2010. We have warned of the, gov- of the growing threat for years, but our concerns have fallen on deaf ears. There is a growing anger at the way firefighters have been treated for more than a decade and at the way our service is being dismantled in front of our eyes. Deputy Chief Fire Officer Keith Chance of the Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, This week has seen unprecedented temperatures creating arduous working conditions for all staff and I'd personally like to thank everyone for their hard work. 
FRS, along with many other services, saw a marked increase in the number of incidents being attended on the two days of the extreme temperatures and these have now returned to normal. While the number of incidents involved a significant amount of our resources, it is incorrect to say that we didn't have sufficient crews to deal with a range of incidents. We sent the closest resources to any incident and when these occur on or close to our borders with other fire and rescue services, we have agreements in place to allow this to happen and to maintain sufficient emergency cover across the two counties. The headline story for Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd, 24th. Being shot is not the price to pay. A traumatised dad has described the horrific moment he was accidentally shot by armed police, leaving him in agony. Aaron Humphreys, 32, feared he could have been killed when he was shot in the leg in Worcester. He suffered life-changing injuries after an officer's gun was discharged during his arrest. He had an imitation firearm with him and had gone to Ronxwood Hill, Worcester, after causing criminal damage at his ex-partner's home in Dines Green. Mr Humphrey said, I just remember the gun going off, then I was on the floor. The bullet went through his car door first, causing the glass in the BMW to shatter, grazed his left knee, then went through his right leg and out the other side. He says he struggles to walk and remains in pain, has had to give up his job and is plagued by nightmares and flashbacks, symptoms of PTSD. He described the pain when he was shot as excruciating. The bullet was found up in the road under a car somewhere. I wouldn't want to know what it was felt like before it went through the car door. The door probably acted as a bit of a shield, he said. He remembers hearing officers shout, Shots fired! as he slumped to the ground in Attenley in agony. Mr Humphrey said he was handcuffed as he lay injured. An ambulance took him to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham and he was given morphine for the pain. The bullet had shattered the bone in his leg just below his right knee and two tourniquets were placed on his leg at the scene. I thought it must have been a rubber bullet until I saw the blood. If it was not me who was shot, it could have been anyone, he said. His injuries required four to five operations, including skin grafts, all performed at the QE, where he stayed for just under three weeks and remained in custody. When he was deemed well enough, he was taken to HMP Hewell. Since the incident, he has started to suffer fits. Living alone in Birmingham, he has lost his job as a civil engineer. He was earning £45,000 a year. Now he's getting £260 per month on universal credit. His son was just nine when his dad was shot, old enough to understand what happened. Mr Humphreys said he had received no letter of apology from the officer or the force. He added the imitation firearm in his car was a plastic toy BB gun and was never brandished or used to threaten anyone. I wouldn't do anything like that, but understand the person who saw it in the car might have seen it in the wrong way, he said. 
At the time of the incident, he had split up with his partner in Worcester and was asleep in the car. Someone looked through my window and called the police, he said. He accepts he broke the law, but said, I have paid my price and being shot in the leg should not have been part of it. Humphreys was sentenced to 20 months in prison, suspended for two years at Worcester Crown Court in January. He admitted possession of an imitation firearm, an MP5K submachine gun and criminal damage. He also admitted criminal damage on the same date, including windows, a door and a ring doorbell. The Independent Office for Police Conduct said West Mercia Police had a case to answer for misconduct. However, the force's internal investigation ruled that there was no misconduct as the firearm was discharged accidentally during the shooting on Saturday, October the 2nd last year. The officer remains on active duty, although their authorisation to carry firearms has been withdrawn. The father of two is now mounting a High Court legal challenge over the force's handling of the case and is seeking compensation from West Mercia Police. Deputy Chief Constable Julian Moss said, As Aaron Humphreys has admitted, he was carrying an imitation firearm at the time of this incident. Of course officers responded did not know that it was an imitation and not the real thing, therefore their weapons were drawn whilst they worked to resolve the situation. During the incident, an officer's weapon was discharged and we immediately made a referral to the Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC. They referred the matter back to the force to establish if the officer's actions amounted to misconduct. A misconduct meeting fully reviewed all of the evidence and it was determined there was no misconduct as the firearm was accidentally discharged, which we apologised for. We stand by the finding and are satisfied due process has been followed. We have also identified organisational learning from this incident and work is underway to address this. On Monday, July the 25th, there was a warning over invasive weed hitting city gardens with the headline, Caught Up in Knots. Japanese knotweed is growing in a Worcester park and spreading into neighbouring gardens. Dennis Hodson, whose home in Tunnel Hill backs onto King George V playing fields, said he has informed council workers but nothing has happened. Mr Hodson, a keen gardener, says he had managed to clear his garden of the problematic plants with weed killer a few years ago. But he added, it's growing in the park and it's coming up in our gardens now. It's happening in Elder Close as well as Tunnel Hill. It's getting to about six foot tall in the park and I've tried calling the council but they haven't done anything. I also spoke to groundsmen in the park and they told me it wasn't anything to do with them. Two or three years ago they used to cut it back which is never going to get rid of it but now they're not even doing that. Japanese knotweed is the most common of four invasive knotweed plant species in the UK and was introduced to the country from Japan as an ornamental plant in 1825. It can grow in most soil conditions and spreads rapidly thanks to its creeping root system. 
It's also possible to spread it by getting a small piece of the plant on your shoe. A new plant can grow from just one centimetre of the rhizome or root. The Environment Agency says you must stop Japanese knotweed from spreading off your property. You don't legally have to remove it from your land unless it's causing a nuisance, but you can be prosecuted for causing it to spread into the wild. According to the agency's website, soil or plant material contaminated with non-native and invasive plants like Japanese knotweed can cause ecological damage and may be classified as controlled waste. Mr Hodson, who used to run a gardening business, says he managed to remove it from his borders using a strong weed killer. People without sufficient experience are advised to seek professional help in removing it from their land. A spokesperson for Worcester City Council said, We are aware of the Japanese knotweed growing on the King George V playing fields and our specially trained staff will stem inject the plants in the coming days. It will take a few weeks to die off and we will do a follow-up treatment in a month and another next year to ensure it is dealt with. If this Japanese knotweed has spread to properties from the playing fields, then residents can get in touch with us on 01905 722 233 and we can treat it accordingly. Tuesday, July the 26th, the headline is Heatwave Produces Bumper Fruit Crop. A family-run farm said the heatwave led to the perfect growing conditions for fruit, with more people buying local produce. Vicarage Nurseries in Bretforton near Evesham said last week's sweltering temperatures meant their strawberries and raspberries ripened quicker than normal. The award-winning farm said it was a challenge to keep up with demand as their season pickers started work at 4am. It comes as strawberry farmers across the UK said they were picking as much as 30% more fruit than usual as temperatures topped 40 degrees on Tuesday in some parts of England. Jazz Singh, Operations Director at Vicarage Nurseries, said the weather following the mild, settled spring and prolonged sunshine through to the recent heatwave had given plants perfect growing conditions. This produced beautiful, juicy and full of flavour strawberries and raspberries. Due to the record-breaking temperatures in the heatwave, this resulted in strawberries and raspberries to ripen quicker than normal. We had plenty of fruit available for customers. The glut of fruit also prompted a wave of discounts in stores and lower prices for British farmers. Yields are expected to be double that of the same week last year in the week ahead. The hot weather also prompted people to stay away from stores, adding to overstock. We are not only a supplier to major supermarkets and markets, but we supply to local farm shops around Evesham too, Jazz added. We have had larger orders from local farm shops as people are buying local produce more. It supports local economy and helps the environment as it reduces the distance the food travels. Elsewhere, Top Barn Farm in Holtheath said, although the heat wave didn't cause a growth spurt in their strawberries, their popular maize maize almost curled up as the heat caused the farm shop to close early last Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, July 27th. Attackers stamped on girl 14. A 14-year-old girl is believed to have had her head stamped on during an attack which has shocked a city community. The teenager was taken to hospital by ambulance following an attack in Hillside Close to Ronxwood, Worcester, on Sunday. 
The mother of the child has urged anyone who witnessed the attack to come forward and assist West Mercia Police with inquiries. In a typed letter to residents, the mum wrote, My 14-year-old daughter was attacked on Sunday evening. This attack included having her head stamped on and being kicked to the head several times. She was taken to hospital in an ambulance. The letter, which leaves the mum's phone number, urges anyone who witnessed the attack to call police. She did not want to speak to the Worcester News at this stage of what remains an ongoing police investigation. But one resident, who was visibly upset in recounting what she saw, said it was so distressing. She explained that she had already given the statement to police. One resident said her dad saw what happened. The girl was on the floor crying. Her best friend was shocked and an ambulance came, she said. Another resident said she had seen three teenage boys wearing black, wearing black past the house just before the incident, which happened near the garages at the far end of Hillside Close. We didn't see, hear anything. We just saw the ambulance. We saw the three lads go down, but we don't know if they had anything to do with it. Our neighbours saw the young girl. She was stood by the ambulance with her. She says the girl was attacked. It never happened here before. They're not from around here. We were quite shocked when we heard about it. We don't tend to have incidents like that up here, though there have been one or two incidents up in the woods. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said on Monday at around 8.40pm on Sunday, 24th of July, officers received a report of assault on Hillside Close, Worcester. Following the assault, a 14-year-old girl was taken to hospital in an ambulance. They confirmed yesterday there had still been no arrests, but investigations were taking place. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesperson said, We were called to reports of an assault on Hillside Close at 7.16pm on Sunday night. One ambulance attended the scene. On arrival, a female teenager who was treated for injuries, not believed to be serious, before taken to hospital. Thursday, July the 28th, motorbike raid on garage. Thieves smashed their motorbike into a petrol station in a village near Worcester during an early morning raid. Cigarettes, vapes and cash were stolen from the SO petrol station in Worcester Road, Great Whitley, in the early hours of yesterday morning. A member of staff was working at the petrol station while the raid took place but was unhurt. Two men wearing dark clothing are believed to have ridden a motorcycle into the glass door of the shop to gain entry. While in Southside, they stole the goods before making off. West Mercia Police is appealing for more information, with a spokesperson saying, At about 1am today, Wednesday, July the 27th, we received a report of a burglary at the petrol filling station in Worcester Road, Great Whitley, where cigarettes, vapes and cash were stolen. The offenders, two males wearing dark clothing, are believed to have ridden a motorbike into the glass door to gain entry and then made off. One member of staff was present at the time but was not injured. 
anyone with information is asked to report it to the police, quoting Incident 20 of the 27th of July. The glass front door to the petrol station shop could be seen smashed later on Wednesday with tape all around the forecourt. Police remained at the scene throughout the morning and with the cordon remaining in place into the afternoon. And now for some general stories. Uh, Crowds lined the streets of Worcester as a little slice of the Commonwealth Games came to the city. The Queen's baton relay made its way through Worcester after spending time in Broadway, Upton and Malvern. Arriving at the cross, the baton was carried down the high street and past the Guildhall before heading into perhaps the city's most famous landmark, Worcester Cathedral. Civil War reenactors formed a guard of honour and an invited audience enjoyed a dance-fest performance at the tomb of King John. In one of the more dramatic moments of the baton's tour of the UK, Paralympic swimmer Rebecca Redfern carried the baton across the River Severn on a dragon boat powered by Worcester Dragon Boat Racing Club. Landing at the Swan Sanctuary steps, the baton made its way to Worcestershire County Cricket Club's New Road Ground, where children formed a guard of honour to welcome the convoy. It then made its way through Cripplegate Park and up Hilton Road, where an open-air wheelchair basketball match was taking place. A flotilla of boats waited on the Severn as the baton made its way over Sabrina Bridge and onto Worcester Racecourse, where it was greeted by the 2014 Grand National winner Pino de Rey and baton bearer Lizzie Hunt. Families waiting at Pitchcroft were able to enjoy free activities put on by the army. The baton then travelled to the University of Worcester's city campus for an official reception, including a speech by Worcester Mayor Adrian Grigson. The baton's time in Worcester was wrapped up with a fiesta organised by Seven Arts revolving around the newly renovated Arches project. Deborah Smith said, It's very exciting. It's a nice thing to be happening in the city and good to see so much local support. Carnival Queen Melanie Eastwood said it was her first big event in the city since the carnival. It's lovely to see so many people coming out and enjoying themselves. This is exactly what we need, she said. The Queen's baton relay comes to an end at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games, which takes place on Thursday at Birmingham's Alexander Stadium. A Worcester school is the first school in the Midlands to be awarded a top industry prize. Perrywood Primary and Nursery School in Ronxwood has been awarded the Thrive School of Excellence Award. The award highlights excellence in environment, leadership, relationships with children, relationships with family and reparative interventions for children who need early help emotionally and right time support for children in class sessions. Perrywood Primary and Nursery School has been working towards the award for the last three years. To celebrate the commendation, the school held a Thrive Celebrator Day. Children came to the school in rainbow colours and participated in various workshops, including sensory play, mindfulness, hula hooping, crafting and planting seeds. The school also attempted to complete a world record for the most amount of people stamped in one go. Worcester Carnival's Queen, Melanie Eastwood, attempted the record 
and the school is waiting to hear if it has been successful. The strategic lead from Thrive, Kay Hamilton, and the regional manager, Elizabeth Brace, attended the school to present the award. A spokesperson for Perrywood Primary and Nursery School said, All the staff and children at Perrywood Primary and Nursery School are so proud of the achievement. Thrive is dedicated to celebrating the commitment of the extraordinary schools that are making a positive impact on children, young people and the wider community by recognising their achievements as Thrive Ambassador Schools and Thrive Schools of Excellence. The School of Excellence Award is the highest level of achievement in the Thrive Ambassador Schools programme. It is awarded to schools and settings that have achieved Ambassador School status in five areas and is a benchmark of all-around excellence for schools that have embedded the Thrive approach. These five areas are leadership, right time, reparative, relationship and environment. Families in Worcester will struggle to put food on the table during the summer holidays as the cost of living continues to rise. But Western Power Distribution, WPD and Worcester Food Bank are working together in order to feed hungry children over the summer holidays. WPD has been awarded grants to totalling £73,000 from its Community Matters Fund. The electricity network operator is set to use the money to help charities and community groups across the West Midlands. Worcester Food Bank has been awarded £1,300 to provide vegetarian prepacked cooking kits for households. During the school holidays, there is a higher demand at food banks, often from families which rely on term-time free school meals. Research from 2019 claims that 3 million children were left at risk of holiday hunger. Ruth Allsop, Operations Coordinator at the Worcester Food Bank, said the grant from Western Power Distribution will help us to provide ready-made parcels and recipes for our clients to cook a meal for their families. Lots of our clients tell us how they would love to cook meals from scratch, but due to funding and storage, we have not been able to supply all the ingredients needed to do so. Sometimes our clients have been recently rehomed or are fleeing domestic abuse and so don't even have access to basic cooking equipment. This funding will help us to provide the food, equipment and guidance to help our clients get excited about cooking and we can't wait to get started with our Let's Get Cooking with Worcester Food Bank project. Alison Slateholm, WPD's Resources and External Affairs Director, said... Holiday hunger is a very real and pressing issue in communities up and down the country and at WPD we have an obligation to support families facing this problem in the communities we serve. We're pleased to be able to support community groups, charities and local authorities in the West Midlands which are working hard to improve the quality of life for families over the holiday period and beyond and we look forward to seeing their projects deliver vital benefits. People in Worcester took part in a blindfold walk in an attempt to understand the challenges visually impaired and blind people face every day. Members of the public, including myself, took part in a blindfold walk in Ronxwood Community Centre on Canterbury Road. Newtown Green Community Group held the event to raise funds for New College Worcester on Whittington Road. 
People of all ages attended the walk and had a go at walking a mile in someone else's shoes. The challenge hoped to spread awareness of vision impairment and allow people to experience some of the challenges that blind and partially sighted people overcome every day. I took part in the blindfold mile and latched onto the elbow of my mobility guide as I walked through the park blindfolded. As I walked, Gail Jones described what was going on around me and when we were about to switch from grass to gravel. She said people will hold on to her elbow with a gentle grip so both parties can retain their personal space while walking. My mobility officer said most people become hyper-aware of things they can smell, feel and hear while they're blindfolded. Lottie Veazey, fundraising officer at New College Worcester, said the blindfold mile that Newtown Green Community Group hosted was a great success. We wanted to do something accessible to everyone. Not everyone can climb Kilimanjaro. Miss Jones said, It's important not to take over their independence. It's important to make sure the person you are guiding has their own personal space and feels safe. Newtown Green Community Group said, Wow, what a great Blindfold Mile event today. A unique opportunity for us sighted participants to experience the challenges overcome by blind and visually impaired people and to learn how to properly guide them. Thanks to all who took part or helped out and especially to Lottie at New College Worcester for enabling this to happen. Thanks also to all who have already donated or sponsored. Any further contributions are most welcome. If you would like just to donate, you can visit justgiving.com. A huge dam of dead wood has clogged up a river near one of Worcester's most famous historic landmarks, as some fear it will cause flooding. A city fisherman says salmon cannot even swim upriver to spawn because of flood debris which has formed a growing island near the famous Civil War Bridge. The pensioner who lives nearby said the rubbish has been building up by Poic Old Bridge for the last five months, clogging up the river team completely. However, an Environment Agency spokesperson says the blockage will be cleared away within weeks. Some photos with the article taken this week show the section of the team near the Poic Old Bridge blocked up with thick mounds of debris, including branches and driftwood. The piles of dead, rotting wood can be seen clearly from the historic Grade 1 listed bridge, the site of the famous Civil War skirmish called the Battle of Poic Bridge, fought on September the 23rd, 1642. However, a spokesperson for the Environment Agency confirmed the debris would be cleared up within the next few weeks to reduce the risk of flooding. John Edwards, a bailiff from Worcester City Fishing Club, said, It's all come down again. It isn't letting the fish come up to spawn and breed. That debris has been there five months. When the flood water comes again, it's going to back up even more. It's a flood risk, definitely. The 73-year-old added, It's also become a bottleneck for the salmon. It needs sorting out before the winter. I've been fishing there since I was a boy. When they used to cut the trees down, we never had this problem. This is the worst I've ever seen it. It's a right mess. It's horrendous. 
A spokesperson for the Environment Agency said, we are aware of the debris around Poet Bridge and will be clearing the build-up in the next few weeks. This will improve the river's flow and reduce flood risk for nearby communities for the autumn and winter months ahead. Debris around the bridge can be difficult to remove in the spawning season, October to July, without disturbing sediment which impacts upon any gravels downstream, which would be an offence under the Salmon and Freshwater Fisheries Act 1975, legislation.gov.uk, section 2.4, disturbance of spawning fish. A mum has made another desperate plea for an investigation into the county's shameful services for children with special needs. Elena Round, whose 18-year-old son, Billy, has complex needs, has made several calls for Worcestershire Children First to be investigated over its record of failings and treatment of children with special educational needs and disabilities, SEND. Mrs Round said that incompetence, unlawfulness and malpractice were happening right under our noses at Worcestershire Children's First, which runs children's services on behalf of Worcestershire County Council and repeated demands for an independent investigation. She said many families were being let down by the County Council because of a lack of specialist places for children and demanded answers on how many of the more than 4,600 legally binding education, health and care plans EHCP in Worcestershire were unlawful because they were not being respected. Many parents of children with additional needs do not by choice home educate their children. It's because of a desperate need and because there are not enough specialist schools and college places for their children to attend, she said during a meeting at County Hall on July the 14th. The most vulnerable children are being denied vital support to enable them to thrive and are missing out on life chances because of malpractice, she said. It's shameful. Elena's son, Billy, who struggles to carry out everyday tasks such as getting dressed, washing and eating, already had an EHCP before moving to Worcestershire in 2018, but was then unlawfully denied physical and occupational therapy by the County Council. Astonishingly, Worcestershire Children First has no accurate data which tells us how many children have been forced to be home educated because of a lack of places, she said. There is no data to advise how many relationships and marriages have broken up because families are fighting for their basic rights to education for their child. No data on how many parents and carers have had to leave their employment to care for their child at home because there is no school setting. No data which advises how many children are so afraid to attend school because the school setting cannot meet their needs. No data as to how many children are traumatised by being denied their right to an education. Councillor Tracy Onslow, Cabinet Member for Education, said, Making sure children across Worcestershire have access to an education that meets their individual needs and allows them to go on and reach their full potential is a top priority for us. As part of our Accelerated Action Plan for improving our SEND service, we are reviewing the specialist provision currently available in the county with the support of parent representatives to ensure their thoughts and feelings on how we can improve in this area are taken forward. 
We know that some of our parents feel that the best place for their child is to be educated is at home. We understand what a significant commitment this is and the impact it has on both the parents and the children themselves. We are continuing to understand the reasons behind elective home education so we can ensure that families are well supported. A Worcester hotel is housing asylum seekers as part of a home office scheme. Worcester City Council confirmed the Founds Hotel is being used to house asylum seekers in Worcester. A Worcester City Council spokesman, we are aware that the Home Office has contracted the Founds Hotel for its use. According to the Home Office, asylum seekers can obtain support such as accommodation while their asylum claims are being assessed. Accommodation providers, in consultation with local authorities, are responsible for identifying suitable temporary accommodation that can be used for this purpose. Providers have been allowed to use contingency accommodations such as hotels during peaks in demand. A Home Office spokesperson said, We are dealing with an unprecedented increase in asylum cases, but despite this we continue to ensure that the accommodation provided is safe, secure and leaves no one destitute. The Home Office does not comment on operational arrangements for individual hotels. Councillor Alan Amos has claimed that the hotel is housing 124 people in 62 twin rooms and has expressed fears that the guests will take resources away from Worcester residents. He said, I heard about this a couple of weeks ago and it was told to keep quiet. The whole hotel has now been taken over. A few weeks ago, we were told there were over 3,000 people on the housing waiting list and I believe these people need to be put first. I'm expressing the views of the silent majority of Worcester and I feel people will be as outraged as I am that this has been kept quiet. The council were told on June the 23rd and officially I still have not been told by anyone. New reports have suggested that the number of asylum seekers in hotels has already trebled in the last year. There were 26,380 migrants living in this type of temporary accommodation at the end of 2021, compared to 9,421 at the start of that year. Home Office data obtained by the Refugee Council showed. The responses to Freedom of Information requests revealed that as of December, more than 200 hotels were in use and around 10% of those staying had children with them. A revamp to enhance Worcester City Centre is well underway, with the latest photos revealing the work completed so far. The transformation of the cross involves natural stone being laid under old tram shelters, part of a bigger scheme to improve Worcester for shoppers and visitors. The photo with this article, shared by Worcestershire County Council, shows the progress so far as part of the Future High Streets Fund scheme. We have previously reported on work to improve St Swithin Street. The plan forms part of a raft of work still underway to improve the city for residents, shoppers and businesses and drive growth. The improvements were made as part of the government scheme to renew and reshape town centres and high streets in a way that drives growth, improves experience and ensures future sustainability. Worcester's historic Scala Theatre will be converted into a new arts venue 
and the former co-op building on Angel Street will undergo a major transformation. There are fears that forlorn ducks and other wildlife are being affected by drought-hit ponds at a city beauty spot. The recent heat wave has caused low water levels in ponds in the Lippard Grange Nature Reserve. Wildlife experts have warned that some species could be at risk after the record-breaking hot temperatures have dried up the ponds. Plastic bottles and rubbish have been exposed by the low water levels, with one person on social media describing the ducks as looking forlorn. Ducks and other birds could be seen trying to soak up the remnants of the water that was left at the scene. Plastic bottles, a traffic cone and a shopping basket could also be seen in what remained of the pond water. The beauty spot is a site of scientific interest as it supports one of the largest known breeding populations of great crested newt in the country. The ponds are also home to common blue damselflies, banded demoiselles, southern hawker dragonfly, smooth newts, diving beetles and freshwater shrimp. The Worcestershire Wildlife Trust said the recent hot weather spells throughout the country would have been a major factor in the lack of water in the pond. A spokesperson for the Worcestershire Wildlife Trust said, Given the recent hot and dry weather, we're not surprised that the Lippard ponds are drying up. A lot of smaller water bodies will go dry each summer without too much impact on the species that use them. But the pools at Lippard usually retain water, and so some of the wildlife using them could be at risk if they dry out completely. This risk is increasingly likely as the effects of climate change become more severe. Issues like this will only get more common in the future. It's important to think about careful use of the water we do have, especially at times like this, but we would also urge householders to ensure that they have water available to wildlife during dry spells. A dish on a patio will help hedgehogs to drink and birds to bathe, for example. The ponds are controlled by Worcester City Council. A spokesperson said... We work in partnership with Warndon Parish Council on a weekly basis to clean and tidy the Lippard Grange Pond and its surrounding area and work to clear away rubbish has been carried out across three days this week. The lack of rain in recent months has meant that the pond level is lower than usual, which has exposed more rubbish than has been dropped into it. There are constraints on the work that has been carried out at the pond because it is a site of special scientific interest. Concerns have been raised over the council's bid for permission to play live music and sell alcohol at the racecourse until almost midnight every day. Worcester City Council, which owns the grassy public area of Pitchcoft Racecourse in Grand Stand Road, has put forward a licensing application reapplying for permission to sell alcohol and stage live music for up to 12,000 people from 9am to 11.30pm every day. Some residents who live near the racecourse said allowing live music to be played until late at night would cause a huge nuisance and prevent people from sleeping. Objections were raised by residents living on either side of the River Severn complaining about the, this. One objector, Diana Grant, said granting a music licence for the racecourse up to 11.30 would cause a huge noise nuisance for those of us living on both sides of the river, across which sound carries really easily. I strongly object to this proposal. If a licence were to be granted, 
it should be for a strictly limited number of special occasions and should not be allowed past 10pm. Written notification of such a planning proposal should be given to all local residents who would be adversely affected. Another objector, Christopher Warren, added, The premises must be fully soundproofed so no noise from the music and or live music can be heard outside of the premises. There should be a decibel restriction on the sound level within the premises. I'm sure you can understand, whenever there is a funfair or entertainment in Pitchcroft, the sound is carried a long way from the original source and increases incrementally as the evening goes on. This greatly affects our ability to sleep, but as these events are fairly infrequent, we have never felt the need to complain. However, it appears that if the application is granted, this will become a regular occurrence, and if the above conditions are not implemented, our ability to sleep and that of our neighbours will be greatly affected. Worcester City Council's Licensing and Subcommittee meets in the Guildhall on July the 27th to discuss the plan. The city venue most recently hosted a concert by James Bay in June and is due to host pop legend Tom Jones in August. If granted, the licence also gives permission to host films, plays and dance performances as well as to play recorded music during the same hours. The old licence, which allowed live music to be played and alcohol to be sold during the same requested hours in the fresh application for a maximum of 12 days a year, had been in place since 2008, but the City Council has been forced to reapply after it lapsed due to an internal administrative error. Drivers had a lucky escape following a dramatic caravan fire which closed a major road in Worcester. Four fire engines rushed to the scene of the fire on the A44 at Whittington, Worcester, on Thursday as crews tackled the blaze which sent a thick pall of black smoke over the city. Fire service leaders have confirmed nobody was hurt in the blaze, which was brought under control in an hour by fire crews. The fire, the cause of which remains under investigation, spewed out thick smoke which was visible across the city, with some spotting the the inferno from St Peter's. A spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said four crews, two from Worcester, one from Droitwich and one from Pershaw, attended the blaze in Whittington Road near Junction 7 of the M5 at 8.53pm. The fire near the Swan was swiftly brought under control by the crews, with the incident closed at around 10pm. The road was coned off by police during the incident and the charred remains of the fire, still partially coned off, were visible on Friday morning. He added, Crews discovered a recreational vehicle being towed by a van, was well alight and the fire was fought using four hose reel jets supplied by a hydrant with two firefighters wearing breathing apparatus. No persons were trapped and there were no casualties. Damping down took place to make the scene safe before the incident was handed over to the police. Highways also attended and the road was closed. Officers from West Mercia Police attended the scene and the road had to be closed with drivers advised to find alternative routes. A resident in St Peter's said they can see the smoke from their house with plumes first emerging at around 9pm. An eyewitness says they saw a vehicle of some kind ablaze with lots of black smoke. 
Another who had driven past added, didn't look great from what little I could see. A popular festival is returning to Worcester for its 20-year anniversary next month. The Worcester Festival runs over three weekends in August, ending on the bank holiday Monday. Since the first Worcester Festival in 2003, the festival has grown in terms of the number of events, the number of venues involved and attendees. This year there will be more than 700 events to choose from across the city. Businesses involved in the festival across the city will be offering discounted rates and individual events to attend. The festival will feature free live music in Worcester City Centre with a stage based at the back of Huntingdon Hall in Crowngate Shopping Centre. There will also be a variety of competitions including the Percy Colouring Competition, Worcester Festival Wildlife Photographic Competition and the Make Your Own Festival Bunting Competition. A full programme has been put together by the organisers of the Worcester Festival, which features information regarding all of the events. Chris Yeager, MBE, Director of the Festival, thanked everyone involved in the festival in a message published in the Festival Programme. He said, We are indebted to all of the organisations who have supported us by entering events and partnering us with some of ours. And a big thank you to our sponsors, volunteers and everybody who helps make the Worcester Festival a real people's festival. I hope to see many of you at an event. Do come and say hello. Many of the events at this year's festival will be free, but some will still require payment or a booking confirmation. For events that require pre-booking or payment, you can visit the Worcester Festival website for the link to purchase tickets. Tickets may also be available at the door of the venues. The festival will also have many of the events fitted with disability access, but organisers are advising attendees to contact the event organiser or location to check accessibility information before an event. This year's festival runs from Saturday, August the 13th to Monday, August the 29th. Trees and vegetation have been stripped away but the main job of putting up a new river bridge has yet to be yet to start. Work at Gellervelt Park in Worcester to make ready for the Keypax footbridge and cycle path over the River Severn began back in January. However, six months on, there is still no sign of the bridge itself being installed after striking artists' impressions were revealed, wetting appetites for the finished project. Vital work has been taking place behind the scenes, ready for the main job of getting the bridge in place. Complementing the existing Sabrina and Diglis bridges, the hope is that the new addition will allow cyclists and walkers to follow a figure-of-eight route around the city so citizens can better enjoy the city's riverside. When finished, the bridge will provide a link between St John's and Barbon's Gellivelt Park, near to the Pump House Environmental Centre. However, preparation work, including ground investigations and soil testing, have been taking place with a con contractor to complete the bridge work set to be appointed later this year. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, following works that took place earlier this year to remove vegetation, advanced works have continued on site including ground investigations, surveys and soil testing.
These advanced works are taking place ahead of the main construction works for which we anticipate awarding a contract later this year. We reported in February how almost 30 trees and sections of vegetation were set to be removed from the fields surrounding the pump house. Councillor Alan Amos, Worcestershire County Council's cabinet member with responsibility for highways and transport, said at the time these works need to be carried out ahead of the main construction contract being awarded later this year. The works are in accordance with the planning approval given for Keypax Bridge on September the 29th, 2021, and replacement trees will be planted later on in the programme. Worcestershire County Council and Worcester City Council are working in partnership to provide this new walking and cycling bridge. Councillor Mark Bayliss, Worcester City Council leader, said earlier in the year, the start of the work to prepare for the building of the Keypax Bridge is an exciting moment. The bridge will bring a major boost for the health and well-being of people who live or work in Worcester, encouraging many more to walk and circle around our beautiful city. Part of a former care home will be converted back into a house after plans were backed by the council. Planning officers at Worcester City Council have approved a plan by Bow Homes which will see one part of a former care home in Shrubbery Avenue in Worcester converted into a five-bed house. The care home stretched across five buildings in Shrubbery Avenue but has been empty since 2019 after the provider moved out. In submitted comments alongside the application, Sophie and Gareth Hughes of Rockingham Lane in Worcester, who had previously converted the former Berwyn House medical practice in Shrubbery Avenue into a home, said, We bought the building from Bow Homes. It is a completely independent development to the rest of the former Shrubbery Care Home, and this should be viewed as a standalone planning application. We will return it to its former glory, retaining as many Edwardian features as we can and having an appropriate frontage. A report outlining the council's approval said the conversion to a home would have less of an impact on the street than the former nursing home did. In terms of the impact on the amenities of the surrounding properties, the neighbouring four properties are in the applicant's ownership, the report said. However, the amenity still needs to be considered. Given that there would not be any extensions proposed to the existing property, there would be minimal impacts. The former use as a nursing home would have had a greater impact on the neighbouring residents in terms of increased noise, visitors and general comings and goings. A statement included with the application said most of the work could be carried out to the inside of the house with the external building largely left untouched. A rear extension would be demolished as part of the work with existing poor windows replaced and repairs made to crumbling garden walls. The three-storey building does sit within the city's Shrubbery Avenue conservation area but is not listed nor locally listed and is earmarked as a key unlisted structure in the area. The work would protect and enhance the character of the area through substantial improvements to the building's facade, according to the application. A sex offender from Worcester has been jailed after sending indecent messages to teenage girls. 
Jacques Doldersom, 25, was jailed after being caught by undercover police officers on online messaging service Kick. He had been messaging what he believed were a 12 and a 13-year-old girl. But they were in fact undercover officers, catching him, encouraging them to send him indecent images as well as sending them an indecent image of himself. In addition to the undercover officers, he also made contact with a vulnerable 14-year-old girl. Doldersom also sent indecent images of himself to her and encouraged her to send indecent images to him. Kick, which is an online messaging service, says teenagers between 13 and 18 should not use the app without their parents' permission. Despite this, users can communicate without revealing their actual name or number. The app also does not track the content of messages or the phone numbers of its users. Doldersom was arrested in November 2021 and analysis of his mobile phone discovered he had made indecent images of children. He was subsequently charged with 12 sexual offences. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced at Worcester Crown Court. Doldersom of Sandpiper Close, Worcester, was jailed for three three years and eight months. He was also issued a sexual harm prevention order and will be included in the sex offenders register. Detective Inspector Matt McNillis said this case was part of our ongoing work to keep children and young people safe online. We warn anyone attempting to engage in this type of behaviour that you are being watched and will be investigated. We also urge everyone to act with caution when using social media and to verify the identity of anyone you may have contact with. Anyone with any concerns about online crime can contact the police by calling 101. A brave Worcester girl with cerebral palsy had to be escorted from Buckingham Palace by ambulance after suffering second-degree burns. Georgie Gibbs, nine, was taken from Buckingham Palace to hospital after boiling hot tea spilled onto her legs while she and her family enjoyed afternoon tea in the palace grounds. Mum Claire Gibbs said her daughter's screams were horrific, but the family were treated like royalty by caring staff. She said it all happened so quickly and somehow the scalding hot tea on the table had spilt onto her leg and was running down into the splint that she wears. The screams were horrific to hear and the whole cafe stopped in silence. Claire and her family were able to take George's splints off quickly and people rushed to pour cold water onto her burns. She said we were all in shock and had no time to think about what was happening. The staff of the cafe came quickly with crate after crate of canned iced cold water. It was a conveyor belt of people all wanting to help all they could. Management arrived quickly and efficiently, and we could see George's legs were starting to blister. George's family praised the staff at Buckingham Palace for their support on the day. The management was amazing, keeping me informed of all their actions and reassuring me that help was on its way, she said. Georgie was given an escort by palace officials on the way to St Thomas's Hospital. The hospital said we should be very thankful to the staff for the continuous amount of water placed on Georgie's leg. Had this not happened, it would have been a different story. The trip to Buckingham Palace was a fun day out before Georgie had surgery at Bristol Children's Hospital. 
a Royal Collection Trust spokesperson said, the safety of our visitors is a top priority and we aim to train our staff to react quickly when first age incidents occur. We are pleased that Georgie is doing well and wish her a full and speedy recovery. The family were invited to return the following day where all the staff who helped Georgie were lined up to greet her. Claire said, We will never forget our experience of going to the palace. It's certainly one that we remembered as Georgie grows up and even may be mentioned on her wedding day. Tesco shoppers in Worcestershire have been given a big thank you after providing more than 8,970 meals to support local food banks and frontline charities. The 8,970 meals collected in Worcestershire between June the 30th and July the 2nd was part of a total of 1.3 million meals donated by generous Tesco shoppers across the UK with an additional 20% top-up added by Tesco. The items of long-life food donated during the Tesco food collection have been shared with food banks in the Trussell Trust's network and front-line charities supplied with food by fair share. Shoppers donating cash to the charities by rounding up at the checkouts also gave more than £328,000 during the collection week. Tesco has expanded its network of permanent food collection points, which can now be found in all stores all year round. Food donated across all stores will go directly to a local Trussell Trust food bank or for a charity supported by fair share from every Tesco store in the country. Emma Reavy, Chief Executive at the Trussell Trust, said... As the nation faces a rapid rise in the cost of living, food banks in our network are telling us that families up and down the country are having to make impossible decisions between putting food on the table or being able to take a hot shower and too many people are being left with no option but to use a food bank because their money simply won't stretch. The incredible generosity of Tesco customers during the summer food collection will play a vital role in helping food banks in Worcestershire provide emergency food and support to people facing hardship during this challenging period. We are grateful to everyone who is able to donate and thank you for your continued support while we work in the long term to build a future without the need for food banks. Ah, Thank you. And now for a couple of sporting items, starting with some cricket. Pakistan limited over fast bowler Mohamed Hasnan has finally arrived in Worcestershire ahead of the final five games of the county championship season. His debut, scheduled for July the 11th against Middlesex, was delayed due to a visa issue, but he is now in line to make his debut in next week's crucial clash with Derbyshire. Worcestershire remain in the hunt for promotion and a win would go a long way to closing the gap further on the top two. Skipper Brett Oliveira believes the pace bowler will help blast teams out. Really looking forward to Mohammed joining up with us. A fresh face, an international cricketer, a guy who has got some raw pace. He is someone that Azar, Ali, speaks really highly of, so I'm excited about that and what he can give us. It's a big thing in Division 2, having high pace, and will be a real asset to our bowling attack. Along with the other guys, it will be a challenge, hopefully, for the opposition batters. There is a lot to play for still. We have played a lot of good cricket in the Championship and Mohammed will provide us with another ingredient. 
Hasnain's international compatriot Ali is currently away on duty with Pakistan test side in a two-match series with Sri Lanka. Azair was not at his best, scoring just three and six in the two innings in the first test. But Pakistan were able to chase down Sri Lanka's 337 to win with four wickets to spare. In other news, Worcestershire confirmed they would be taking on Herefordshire for the second year in a row when the two sides meet at Eastnor Cricket Club on Sunday the 31st of July in a one-day 50-over match starting at 11am. It follows last season's fixture which was the first competitive meeting between the two sides in 17 years. The event will be free for all, including parking. However, spectators will be able to make a donation on the day. They won't be required to print or show tickets, and while spectators are also welcome to simply turn up on the day, using the Eventbrite ticketing app will really help the organisers to gauge likely numbers. Uh, And now for a football story. Former Worcester City striker Colby Bishop has completed a move to EFL League One side Portsmouth on a three-year deal. Bishop, 25, played for Worcester City back in the 2016-17 season where he scored eight goals in 26 appearances in the National League North. The stint at City came after spending a year on loan with Gloucester City under now City boss Tim Harris. After spending six years in the non-league game, Bishop got his professional move when he joined Accrington Stanley for the 2019-20 season. He has been with Stanley ever since and scored 39 goals in 123 appearances. But now he will play in Pompey Blue, despite heavy interest from EFL championship side Blackpool FC, who pulled out of the deal last minute. After signing on the dotted line, Blue's boss, Danny Cowley, said, It wasn't straightforward, these things never are, and we had to be pretty resilient and determined. We had an offer accepted for Colby, and there was also championship interest, while he wants to play at the highest level possible. So we were a bit nervous, but we spoke with him and told him to take his time and make an intelligent decision. Ultimately, he's chosen to come here, and that's brilliant. He wants to play in the championship, and so do we. So I think our ambitions are aligned in that sense. My chief scouts in the centre-forward department are always my centre-halves, so we spoke with Clark Robertson, Sean Raggett and Connor Ogilvie. I asked them for the toughest forward they've played against in this division, and they all said Colby which says a lot about his attributes. He's an unselfish link player, which is something that we really like, and we relish the opportunity to play into and up to him. We also like to get into wide areas and cross the ball, and in the box he carries a real threat, both from open play and set pieces. It's a really exciting signing for Portsmouth Football Club, and we've had to be patient but I think that Colby could see that he's really wanted here. And that brings a close to our news for this week. I hope you've enjoyed our contribution and we look forward to reading for you again next week. 
So it says we just all say goodbye now. So that's goodbye from me, Sally, and goodbye from me, Ian, and goodbye from Rianne. Uh, and now we'll go through the obituaries. Terence Thomas, known as Terry Moore, passed away on the 24th of June. A service to celebrate his life will take place on Tuesday the 2nd of August at 11am at the Vale Crematorium, Flabbury. Donations for St Richard's Hospice in memory of Terry may be donated at strichards.org.uk. David James Banks, known as Dave, died tragically on the 3rd of July. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 1st of August at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if so desired, will be gratefully received from Midlands Air Ambulance. All inquiries to co-op funeral care, Worcester. Dorothy Plant, nay Atkins, passed away peacefully on the 5th of July. Funeral service to be held at 2pm on the 18th of August at Hallow Church, followed by burial in the church grounds. Jean Rosemary Lambert Evans died peacefully on the 5th of July. Private cremation in Cheltenham, followed by a funeral with interment of ashes at St Bartholomew's Church, Harpley, at 12 o'clock on Tuesday the 2nd of August. Family flowers only, please. And afterwards at Crumpleberry Farm, Whitbourne, WR65SG. Please contact WS Trailhill Funeral Directors for further details. Adrian Robert Summerton, known as Aid, passed away peacefully on the 8th of July. To celebrate AIDS life, the service will take place at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, on Friday the 29th of July at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, with donations very gratefully received for St Richard's Hospice. A collection box will be available at the church. No black or formal clothing at AIDS request. All inquiries to Co-op Funeral Care, Worcester. Jean Marilyn Davis, known as Lynn, nay Handkins, passed away on the 11th of July. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 28th of July at 10.45am. Family flowers only please, donations if desired for Cancer Research UK or Dementia UK may be left at the crematorium or sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Thomas Butler, known as Tom, passed away on the 11th of July. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 2nd of August at 1.45pm. Flowers only please, but donations if desired for the RNLI may be left at the crematorium or sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Mike Hollingworth 
passed away peacefully on the 10th of July. Funeral service at Westall Park Burial Ground, B966JY, on Tuesday the 2nd of August at 11.30am. A further celebration of Mike's life at the Talbot in Kempsey, WR53JA, on Tuesday the 6th of September from 1pm. No flowers by request, please. Donations, if desired, for the Mines Advisory Group may be left at either the burial ground or the Talbot or care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Anthony Thomas Tony Watton sadly passed away on the 11th of July. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 2nd of August at 1pm, followed by refreshments at the Archdale's Social Club. Family flowers only, however, charitable donations can be made to cancer research or air ambulance if desired. Anthony Bruce Regan, known as Tony Wyatt, passed away peacefully on the 12th of July. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 4th of August at 10am. Immediate family flowers only, please. Donations, if so desired, will be gratefully received for Parkinson's UK. Christine Thompson passed away peacefully on the 12th of July. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 1st of August at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Worcester. Philip Lionel Cyril Langford The unexpected but peaceful passing of Philip on the 12th of July. A funeral to celebrate his life will be held at St James the Great Church, Norton, Worcester, on Monday the 8th of August at 1pm. Family flowers only, but donations will be given to Action for Pulmonary Fibrosis. Beryl Turberville passed away peacefully on the 13th of July. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 16th of August at 2.30pm. No flowers, but donations if desired to RNLI may be given at the service or sent care of R.L. Ray Funeral Directors, Bromsgrove. Douglas William Dugmore passed away on July the 13th. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury on Tuesday, August the 2nd at 1pm. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for cancer research may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Pershaw. Rosemary Ann Vivian, known as Rose, passed away peacefully on the 15th of July. Funeral service at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, on Thursday the 4th of August at 2.30, followed by cremation at the Vale Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Save the Children may be left at the service or sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Lucy Ann Rowlett died 16th of July. For further details, contact Oak Tree Funeral Services. Phone number 01544 327 829. And Irene, known as Rini Skinner, passed away peacefully on the 20th of July. 
a private service is to be held. Olive Ellen Mary, known as Mary White, passed away on July the 22nd. Funeral service will be held at Peopleton Church on Wednesday, August the 3rd at 11am. Family flowers only and donations in memory of Mary are invited for Peopleton Church, which may be sent to E. Hill and Sons, Pershaw. And the, our thoughts and prayers go with all those loved ones and friends of the, uh, those people who have died at this difficult time.